today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. You know what the most powerful tool Satan has in his toolbox? As one cleverly quipped, the most powerful tool, it's a power tool, it's the tool of discouragement. It's his most powerful tool. Man, when he pulls that thing out, this is the most powerful tool. Discouragement. Get a Christian discouraged. Because it's not long left unchecked that discouragement will give way to despair. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Jeremiah. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to discourage you and bring you down. If you feel like you're being attacked, you are. Spiritual warfare is a real thing, and Satan is a real enemy. Today, Pastor J.D. is going to remind you that God has the final say. Trust in him and he will protect you from the enemy. Now be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Jeremiah chapter 27 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Two chapters, 27 and 28, they go together and... (laughs) In chapter 27, we read no less than four times, they prophesy a lie. And then when we get to chapter 28, it says, you make these people trust in a lie. What do you think these two chapters are about? Well, as we're about to see, the prophet Jeremiah is going up against these false prophets, one in particular we're going to be introduced to in chapter 28. And it seems that they were only prophesying positive optimism to Judah. Their messages were feel-good messages, and it's all good messages, and Jeremiah, like this lone voice in the wilderness, is really the only one that is speaking the truth. Everyone else is lying. And as we're again going to see, they are all believing the lies. And that's the problem. The problem is that the positive and optimistic messages, they were all a lie. And the people chose to listen to the lie, which is why they were deceived and believed the lie, which resulted then in them trusting in the lie. They wanted to believe it. They wanted Jeremiah to be wrong, and these false prophets to be right, because of the implications of what Jeremiah was prophesying. It's the truth, but it was much more palatable, for lack of a better word, to believe these false prophets who were going in direct contradiction to the prophet Jeremiah. So with that, let's jump in verse 1, chapter 27. 
in the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, verse 2, Thus says the Lord to me, Make yourselves bonds and yokes, and put them on your neck. Oh, here we go again. As one said, deja vu all over again. I know that's a redundancy, but this is now yet another time when Jeremiah is commanded of the Lord to prophesy visually. One time it was this sash around his waist that he was told to wear, which would get everybody's attention. They would all look at Jeremiah, wow, nice sash, Jeremiah. Where'd you get that? You styling. And then all of a sudden he's gone. Where'd he go? Oh, he went to Babylon, and he took his sash with him. And then he buried it and ruined it, and then came back, and he doesn't have it. Jeremiah, where's your sash? Oh, don't worry, you'll see. Got your attention now, don't I? Well, God's got your attention. I just happen to be the one that is doing this. But so then he's gone again. Where'd Jeremiah go? I don't know where he went this time. And he comes back. It's probably been at least a couple of months. It's quite the journey from Judah to Babylon. He comes back, got the sash. What happened to your sash? It's all bust up. That's a very loose translation, but yeah, there's a reason for that. Where did you take it? I took it to the place that you're going to be taken captive, Babylon. And you see this sash? That's what is going to happen to you. Well, they didn't like that. Well, then he has another visual prophecy. This time it's of clay pots. And then those pots are broken. And again, the visual prophecy is like the sash, this is what's going to happen to you. Now we fast forward to chapter 27, and this time it's a yoke. What's a yoke? Well, it's made of wood, and it's put around the neck of the animal. It's a yoke, a burden, and it's strapped on with leather. So here's God telling Jeremiah, I want you to make one and wear it, That'll get their attention again. And you're going to be wearing this yoke. And not only do I want you to put this yoke around your neck to get their attention with this visual prophecy, but I also want you to make extras and then ship them. I'll pay the postage. You're going to send them, verse 3, to the king of Edom the king of Moab, the king of the Ammonites, the king of Tyre, the king of Sidon, by the hand of the messengers who come to Jerusalem to Zedekiah, king of Judah. Now we'll talk more about Zedekiah, but he was a puppet king that was installed by Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon there in Judah. Not good. <laughs> and verse 4, command them to say to their masters, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Thus you shall say to your masters, verse 5, 
I have made the earth, the man, and the beast that are on the ground. By my great power, and by my outstretched arm, and have given it to whom it seemed proper to me. And now verse 6, I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, hang on to that, and the beasts of the field, I have also given him to serve him. Now don't think of this servant as being the Lord's servant. No, Nebuchadnezzar is going to be used by God to serve servant his purpose in the disciplining and the chastising of his people. This Nebuchadnezzar is going to be God's servant in God's hand, and he's going to be used to serve God's purpose. Now verse 7, so all nations shall serve him, and his son, and his son's son, until the time of his land comes, and then many nations and great kings shall make him serve them. And it shall be, verse 8, that the nation and kingdom which will not serve Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon, and which will not put its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, that nation I will punish, says the Lord, with the sword, the famine, and the pestilence, until I have consumed them by his hand. Okay, we need to kind of work through this a little bit before you move on. Now you've got to, and please personalize this because it is powerful. Here's this persecuted prophet proclaiming this unpopular visual prophecy. So again, I'm just going to kindly ask that you use your God-given imagination and put yourself there. So here's Jeremiah. Oh, <laughs> Jeremiah, what are you doing now? What, what, what's up with the yoke? I mean, he's got this yoke around his neck, pieces of wood up tight with the leather strap, strapping it in. And he's, he's prophesying this with the yoke around his neck. And he's telling them, I mean, this is, what are you talking about? You're telling me that God is going to use this King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, and we're to yield to him, and we're to submit to him, and we're to allow him to put us under his yoke. And if we don't, well, God's going to kill us? How does that make any sense? Jeremiah, you've completely lost your mind. And by the way, just out of curiosity, it was a sash and then clay pots, now it's a yoke. What's it going to be next week? I don't know. We'll have to ask God about that. I've got your attention now, don't I? See, there's something about a visual prophecy that packs more punch and again, if you really think about it, can you imagine if Jeremiah just prophesied this about the yoke? 
I mean, they would just go, ah, there he goes again. But how powerful is this visual? He's wearing a yoke, man. (laughs) And he's telling us about being under the yoke of the king of Babylon, and that God has ordained it to be so. And that if we try to fight against God, our problem is not against Babylon, our problem is against God. We have sinned against God. And Babylon is just the instrument in the hands of God. And he's going to use Babylon and this king, and he's going to use that nation to punish us, to discipline us. And if we try to go against it, this is going to come up again here in a moment. God's going to do something about it. I mean, it's quite graphic, isn't it? The sword, the famine, the pestilence, until I have consumed them by his hand. Verse 9, therefore, this is where it gets very interesting. Do not listen, I want you to notice this, to your prophets, your diviners, your dreamers, your soothsayers, and your sorcerers. I counted five. Wow, what a, what a crew. <laughs> so let's kind of, let's see. Okay, we know what the prophets were. They were false prophets that prophesied. What were the diviners? They were the prognosticators. What about the dreamers? Oh, these were the ones that would have dreams and then they would interpret the dreams. Uh, who were these soothsayers? Well, they were understood at that time to be cloud mongers. They would study the signs in the sky. And we know a little bit about sorcerers. We talk about that in our prophecy updates in the New Testament. These were the magicians that used magic potions and magic spells, and they would use mind-altering drugs and potions. So when you get to the New Testament, the word for sorcery is pharmakia in the original language of the Greek New Testament, which is where we get our English word for phar- pharmacy, pharmaceutical. So this was a, a magic spell, magic potion. And all of these, the prophets, the diviners, the dreamers, the soothsayers, the sorcerers, they were all false. I would even add demonic. And here's Jeremiah, he's got the yoke around him, and he's telling God's people, don't listen to them, who speak to you saying, you shall not serve the king of Babylon. Oh, well Jeremiah's over here telling us that we are, and that he's speaking in the name of the Lord. And now you're telling me the opposite. So we're not going to serve under the yoke of the king of Babylon? And verse 10, Jeremiah continues, here's why you shall not listen to them who tell you that you're not going to serve the king of Babylon. For, verse 10, they prophesy a lie to you, to remove you far from your land, and I will drive you out and you will perish. But, verse 11, here it is again, the nations that bring their necks under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him, I will let them remain in their own land, says the Lord, and they shall till it 
and dwell in it. What? Okay, Jeremiah, listen, I love you, man. You always know what's coming after someone says, you know, I love you. You know, there's a but, but. <laughs> I love you, but. Jeremiah, I love you, but come on. You're actually prophesying in the name of the Lord a word from the Lord that we're going to be under the yoke of the king of Babylon. And I've got all these other guys over here telling me the exact opposite. Who's right? And, and not only am I, I'm so confusimicated, but to make matters worse, to add insult to injury, what you're telling me doesn't make any sense at all. I'm having a really hard time wrapping my mind around what you're saying being from the Lord. That doesn't sound right to me. It seems like the opposite would be true, that God would not want us to be under the yoke of the king of Babylon. And that's what they're telling us. That seems more amicable to me, more plausible to me. What you're telling me, man, that's, that's hard to really grasp and accept and wrap my mind around. Dare I say that this could be said of our day concerning those who prophesy a lie? Well, what do you mean, Pastor? Well, hmm, things that make you go, hmm. You don't have to look too far to find somebody that will tell you basically, not verbatim, but basically almost word for word, what these dreamers, soothsayers, <laughs> sorcerers, prophets were saying. Now, come on. It's not going to happen. You're not, judgment's not coming. Just relax. I know Jeremiah's over here saying, hey, this is it. It's game over. This is how it ends. And then all of these other guys are saying, no, that's not how it's going to end. This isn't the end. Don't listen to that guy. The Lord's not coming. The rapture's not happening. I mean, everybody thought the rapture was going to be in their lifetime. And yet, as Peter, can't wait till we get there. Hopefully it's before we, the rapture. Well, it doesn't matter. Actually, I wouldn't mind at all if the rapture happened before we got to that passage. But he basically says this is another prophecy, actually, about mockers who will come scoffing and ridiculing you concerning the Lord's return? He's not coming. Everybody, yeah, everything goes on as it always has. And where's the promise of His coming? Now you're one of those. And we are met with scorn and scuffing and mocking and ridiculing. You know what I say? Bring it on, man. In fact, I love it when you do that, because you're actually fulfilling the very prophecy that you're mocking me about. Because I'm told that in the last days there would be an increase of people like you mocking people like me for believing 
the Word of God. This is the Word of God. And it's going to come. And it's going to happen. And God said it, and that settles it. And by the way, I need to parenthetically say, just bear with me, because I mentioned this a couple weeks ago in the prophecy update. And I'm going to say this as lovingly and as kindly and as humbly as I possibly can. I'm not going to let you rob me of the excitement that I have that the trumpet can sound at any time. You can try, but it ain't going to happen. Because I'm excited, and if you tell me, chill out, calm down, well, I won't tell you what I'm <laughs> I'll pray for you. You just don't want to know how I'm going to pray for you. Don't do that. The Apostle Paul writing to Timothy said, I'm about, my days are numbered, and they were. I finished the race, I fought the good fight, and you know what awaits me, and I can't wait. So excited because what awaits me is a crown of righteousness. And here's the thing, not just me, but you too. Me? Yeah. Those who long, ache, yearn, watch for His appearing. Now notice, appearing is not second coming. That's the rapture. He doesn't come to the earth. He appears and takes us out of this world. That's the rapture. That's the blessed hope. That's her only hope. And you, you want to steal? Sounds to me like the enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. What does Satan want to steal? Your car? He has no use for your car, especially your car, my car. You could, in fact, I have a note. Well, never mind. I was, it's a joke, but you know, I have a note. Dear thief, thank you so much for stealing this thing. I'll just collect the insurance and get something nicer. God bless you. <laughs> Never mind. I, like I said, it was a joke, but sort of. But uh, he doesn't want to steal your car. He doesn't want to steal your credit card. He doesn't want to steal anything. What does he want to steal? Your joy. The joy of your salvation. Your hope. He wants to rob you of your hope and joy, because the joy of the Lord is your strength, Nehemiah 8.11. So He wants to weaken you and depress you and oppress you. He cannot possess you, but that doesn't mean He won't try to oppress you and depress you and discourage you. You know what the most powerful tool Satan has in his toolbox? As one cleverly quipped, the most powerful tool, it's a power tool, it's the tool of discouragement. It's his most powerful tool. Man, when he pulls that thing out, this is his most powerful tool, discouragement. Get a Christian discouraged, because it's not long left unchecked that discouragement will give way to despair. And when he can get a Christian discouraged and in despair, man, he's got him. He's got him. That's what he wants to steal. You can't steal my joy and excitement. Yeah, keep mocking me. You go ahead. God's going to have the final word. And by the way, God laughs. God's got a great sense of humor. <laughs> Just look at yourself in the mirror. If you ever doubt that, you'll know God's got a great sense of humor. 
We are so glad you joined us for this edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Throughout this book, the prophet Jeremiah is speaking words that God has given him, warning the Israelite nation that judgment is sure to come. But the people don't want to hear it. They'd rather carry on in their revelry, living their best life now. If you've noticed, there's a mentality of that in today's culture, too. Don't you dare give anyone warning about the red flags in their life. They're just taking that idea of eat, drink, and be merry and running with it. Unfortunately, these warnings in Jeremiah weren't heeded. and That's how it can be today as well, as God gives fair warning about what's to come in the future. But are you prepared for what God's warnings are? Have you taken heed to what he speaks and teaches about in his word? These aren't just mentioned as a side note. Everything in God's word is intentional and has a purpose. If you'd like to know more about what this all means, we encourage you to go to our website, calvarychapelkaneohe.com. There, you'll find the ABCs of salvation under the resources tab. This provides an in-depth overview of what it means to believe that Jesus died for your sins and that he can save you from a life and eternity without him. If you're in the area and would like to connect with some others in person about this, we invite you to join us at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. You can find directions at our website, calvarychapelkaneohe.com. We hope you'll join Pastor J.D. for the next edition in Jeremiah, here on In Spirit and Truth.